All right, here we go. The 2021 episodes of the Park Hills Podcast. Woohoo! It's pretty exciting. So if you want more information on us, go to parkhillschurch.com. Go to the Park Hills Church app. You're probably listening to us on one of those already, but we want to just throw it out there anyway. Get to know us that way, and we got a ton more resources available to you. Mark, Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah, so we're going through the book. How about that? And man, it's so exciting to see um, that people are engaging in this already and yeah. wanting to be a part of it. Um, what is going to become obvious really quick, and hopefully people are aware of it already if you've uh, tuned into the sermon, is this idea of themes. And let's face it. Opening the Word of God and figuring out what's going on is really hard, and it's not like you can just pick it up and read it through in a day and then and then have some bigger picture. So again, ways we understand are understanding genres, you know, who the audiences were, and all that sort of thing. Uh, but also, the grand narrative is so important to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you came to me with this idea of of highlighting the themes. I, I just loved it. And uh, so talk to, talk to us a little bit more about that and what what it does to help us see the, the prevalent themes that keep emerging throughout this great book. Well, you know, I would love to take more credit for it. Uh, but really, when we did the recalculating Bible reading plan a couple of years ago, we both enjoyed it so much when we got through it that you said, hey, we need to do the Bible in a year every few years. So then that made me just start thinking, okay, if we were going to attack the Bible in a year every few years, how do you not let it just get old? And, and I don't mean that the Bible ever gets old, but I just mean people, you know, if we did recalculating every four years, people would be like, here we go again, we're going recalculating. But the Bible is so rich and so full that what we could do is attack it from a lot of different directions. Mm-hmm. So recalculating was more of a roadmap for life kind of perspective. And we went through the Bible and kind of pointed it out as if this is what God is telling us how to live and how to die and that kind of thing. Whereas another way to approach it would be let's think through some of the major themes of Scripture. And then let's just work through those throughout the whole thing. So, you know, what a theme is is something that you can – trace all the way through the scriptures. And there are hundreds of themes throughout the Bible. You know, if we wanted to do one of our themes, if we wanted to do redemption, we could spend an entire year just walking through all the different redemptive stories that God did. And maybe that's what we'll do, you know, years from now. Maybe we'll just call it yeah. the... You better push that little yeah, idea into <laughs> yeah, your notes like six, somewhere. You know, six years from now, we do the redemption plan. And it's, you know, 52 sermons on just how God redeems his people over and over again. Uh, actually sounds really good. Actually, I'm gonna write, I am going to write that down. <laughs> I was making that up on the spot, and now I'm really kind of excited about it. Uh, but what we decided to do this year, you know, I, I kind of came to you and said, what if we just picked seven major themes so that people don't necessarily get bored of the one thing over and over again? And all seven of these themes interact with one another, but then also 
are going to give us maybe a unique way to look at the scriptures, whereas recalculating had one goal in mind, and this one has a different one. So we've got seven different themes that we're going to trace throughout the whole year. So we're going to preach a few of them, you know, five or six times. We're going to preach a couple of them eight or nine times. And each of them have different, you know, I don't want to say value, but each of them had different parts in the story. And then they're going to start to interweave a little bit. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the first week, the one that we're kind of dealing with in this episode, we did image. And then that's going to be followed up by rebellion, but rebellion and image are going to go together pretty tightly. Mm -hmm. And from there, we're going to dive into a whole whole bunch of other ones. Um, You know, we're going to talk about tabernacling. We're going to talk about love. We're going to talk about family. um, Kingdom. And kingdom. And uh, others that will we'll kind of unfold these as the year goes on. But the idea is then that image theme is going to get picked up multiple times. And so, you know, as we're working through the scriptures, based on where our reading plan is at that time, we'll, we'll pull a theme out and say, check out how this one has de- developed. So if you're paying attention this year, you'll notice that the image themes all link together. Then you'll notice also the rebellion themes all linked together and so on and so forth. But then when you also start to realize the end of the year is these things are a little more closely attached than they should be. So rebellion actually has some kind of impact on our imaging. Mm -hmm. And image has some kind of impact on kingdom. And kingdom has some kind of impact on rebellion, which has some kind of impact on love. And and we're going to pull all these things together and then, you know, we have some fun ideas as we get down the stretch that we might be able to pull off. Who knows? We might run out of steam and be like, this is, we're so tired. All we're going to do is the basics. But regardless, these these seven themes. And so we as a sermon team have been working on making sure that we get the seven themes down and that we're able to kind of interact with them. Uh, it's going to be pretty fun. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's going to be cool because, you know, anybody who's read the Bible and studied the Bible, you know, for any length of time or sat under uh, preaching, if it was biblical, you, you, you love it when you see those connections. Mm-hmm. You see, oh, wait. You know, God uh, asking Abraham to put his son on the altar, but then sparing his life, mm-hmm. and then looking at that, he puts his son on the altar, but lets him die in our place. Those connections, the more we understand those things, and then that helps it all come together. Otherwise, so often reading the Old Testament, you go, what am I reading, and what does this have to do with things? God, why does God want me to know that? But to be able to let those things be those themes come to, to the surface and help us understand more. Just even as we've studied it and planned it out, it's really uh, been really a good reminder for me of what God God's grand, mm-hmm. grand redemptive story is and makes me even appreciate it uh, more even as I study it. Cool. So Genesis 1, we've got creation there. And man in his image, um, male and female. Now, this is pretty important, you know, the subject of are, are, are we, do we have some disparity between how we value man or value woman? And even uh, this uh, prayer that became famous real recently here with this Methodist pastor ending his prayer, not to mention the prayer was <laughs> a mess to begin with, but <laughs> then ends his prayer with a man and a woman. Uh, just shows you how much of a subject this is, and it's sad how much he didn't even understand about amen. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I saw some funny things on Facebook. Are, are we going to call, you know, we're going to see, uh, going to have, you know, menus now at restaurants and women menus, and <laughs> are we going to try to rectify all this and make it all even? But, oh, this is pretty significant here, this image of God, male and female. Mentos and wool mentos. I saw that one. <laughs> uh, 
it's it's running a lot. It's a, this, it's gained a lot of traction. Start. Let me start by saying it is foolish because the word amen has nothing to do with men and women. But th- I digress. Which he should have known. If, if you were well taught, I think you would have been able to pick that up. But we live in a culture that has sort of decided not to be taught well. And unfortunately, we live in a culture that orthodoxy and orthopraxy don't really have much value in, in as much as they should anymore. And so we're going to keep this brief, even though we're going to open a can of worms. But the, the Bible values gender. It is unequivocal. There is no doubt that gender matters and it's important that we understand our purpose and our role in the world God has created. Now, part of the reason why things have gotten so ugly is the church hasn't always done a good job of, of, of loving both genders mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So we're, for, we're the first to own that, even though I don't think we hold to some of those views and we aren't the enemy here. But I understand why people are afraid of church or mad at church because of their views on gender and so on and so forth. Um, but I will say that the, the Bible values men and women the Bible values male and female. And the fact that both male and female are made in his image based on the verse you just read doesn't mean that one of them is lesser than the other. Right. So part of the discrepancy that some people have about, say, leadership, you know, being male-oriented versus not in the church and things like that have more to do with later in the story. And we'll probably pick that thread up as we do podcasts you know, again, just to open cans of worms and make people at least think. I don't think we want to start an argument, but we at least want to show people this is kind of why we're coming to the conclusions we are. But regardless, the fact that God made male and female, they're both made in his image. What's amazing is throughout the scriptures, God is going to be called a father many, many, many times. There's even a couple of times where God is called a mother, which I think is beautiful that that God is, I'm not saying he, he is genderless. And even the fact that I just used the word he, I know people would freak out about that. But there is an element of God's image being passed on to human beings. We both have roles and responsibilities. We also have power and significance because we are made in God's image. And so you just need to know that we affirm the fact that our culture has completely messed this up. And uh, I'm looking forward to the day that we can look back and go, all right, we've rebounded and we've gotten back to where things are supposed to be. Yeah. Part of you know, what I tried to bring out of that in that sermon, too, is that I think we have these problems about even gender and, and who's more valued and that sort of thing because of trying to discredit the creation account and, right. and to not realize male, you're in his image, female, you're in his image. And, and that's wonderful. Yeah. And you're valuable because of it. And when, when we move that out of sight, then, well, I'm going to devalue you for whatever reason. You're not a man and you're devalued. You're not a woman. You're devalued. all these things. And, right. and how, how tragic, tragic to do, to do that. Or even today, to the extent that I'm not comfortable in my own skin. I wish we lived in a culture that you were comfortable in your own skin and that you understood that maybe some of the roles that you think are being thrown upon you maybe are more cultural than they are biblical. But I digress again and we'll yeah. stop. Certainly, I didn't spend any time on it uh, on Sunday, but you've got Adam and Eve yeah, and you've got the Garden of Eden. 
And you named your daughter Eden. We did. Not really for this reason, but uh, it turned into a beautiful name. It just means happiness. It means joy. Uh, and she's brought us a ton of that in our life. And so we are proud of that name for her. So, yeah, there, there's a huge discussion, mostly in the the uber-theological world, the world that most of us don't want to go to because it's it's really annoying. They use really big words. They That's use not words. cyber-theology, it's uber-theology. Yeah, beyond uber. Well, it, it, unfortunately, it also has moved its way into cyber-theology. <laughs> but I just mean the I've never, been a, I've never been a Trekkie. Just know that. <laughs> You're so ridiculous. There, there are people who are spending their entire life studying maybe 30 verses and all of the writing they've done and all of the things they've processed and everything is just this little section of scripture. And so, you know, there are people who are experts of this element of Colossians or this element of Romans or whatever. The ones who study Genesis 1 to 2 are significant. They're out there. There's a lot of them. They're really, really good. They're digging into the Hebrew words. They're digging into the, the various texts that we have that are, have survived that are Genesis 1 and 2. And comparing and contrasting and all that kind of stuff. And and out of that, there's so much debate that happens about Adam and Eve, whether they were real, whether they weren't. And there's been some really junky science out there that tries to make things go against the Bible. There's been some really Imagine that. There's been some really amazing science out there that has actually proven that the Bible is is more legit than it's not. And we don't have time to get into all the nitty gritty, although I'll say there's some there's some really amazing scientists and some amazing theologians out there who are just saying it's not unreasonable to think that this story is legit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I think, I think when we, you know, you go to school, you have a science teacher who's, who's being forced to teach material or is teaching material. And there's a certain element there of, you know, people were, they evolved uh, and there's no other way to look at it. That's not true. There's, there's a lot of ways to look at it. And even the science suggests there's a lot of really good ways. There's, the science is much more open and possible than people even realize. So if one holds to a historical Adam and Eve, like you and I do, we are not fools. We are not anti-science. We are not even, you know, we're not total morons who have chosen to just like leave everything behind and only follow God, although we, we have. Uh, but that's not really the, the point. The, the idea is the Bible is telling us something that, you can make a good case is absolutely true. So I've had a lot of discussions with people the last couple of weeks because they just started reading this with us and they're like, so is this real? Yeah, I think it is. I have some friends who don't think it is, who love Jesus. I don't agree with them on a lot of the points they've come to, but neither one of us have come to this conclusion because of the science. The science also doesn't deny the fact that what we believe is true. We've, we've come to it based on a textual understanding, reading it through, thinking it through, trying to see, figure out what it says. So there's a lot of variance out there, but I just want to say there's some really good work, and I'll, I'll throw some of it in the show notes uh, when we publish this, this, um, this podcast that'll give you maybe a couple of books to read if you want to go read them and just kind of open up some doors and, and give you some ideas and show you that there's some really, really amazing people who are Christians, who also are scientists, who are like, no, this isn't crazy. It's not terrible. And to kind of seal this point, uh, you know, one of the things that one of my professors told me in, in seminary, which is really helpful, he called it a theological icebox. And I want to throw this idea out as we start with the Bible in a year, because we're going to deal with a lot of things that are going to make you go, hmm, I don't know about that. 
So he called it his theological icebox. And when he heard something that made him doubt or made him question his faith or question the scriptures, he said he just put it in his icebox. And he kind of imagined a space in his mind or in his heart where he had a little fridge sitting there. And he would take an idea and he would just shove it in there. And then he would wait until the answer came. And so the biggest example of this I can give kind of deals with Genesis 1 and 2 is, you know, right around the turn of the century, evolution was starting to take off. I'm talking about 1800s to 1900s. Darwin's theories were starting to gain some hold and people were starting to freak out a little bit. And a lot in the church started saying, you know, you're a fundamentalist, meaning you believe that Adam and Eve are real. You believe the Garden of Eden is real. You're ridiculous. And so there are all these, you know, sermons done, like are the fundamentalists going to win and things like that. You can go find those if you want. But one of the things that started happening was because of that, they started digging in the Middle East and the, the, the like the idea of archaeology really developed around the late 1800s. And as that was happening, one of the things that they noticed was there was no evidence of other rivers in the Middle East besides the Tigris and the Euphrates. And they were really struggling with this because you read Genesis 2 and it talks about four different rivers, mm -hmm. the headwaters coming out of the Garden of Eden. And they were struggling with that fact. And so they were doing all this digging and they were not finding anything. And so my professor said, one of his professors who taught him this idea, just shoved that idea in an icebox. Instead of saying, the Bible can't be real because we haven't found the other two rivers, this is ridiculous. He shoved it in his icebox. And what's really cool is in the 1960s, uh, you know, we had developed satellites and we were starting to send stuff up into space a little bit, late 60s, early 70s, and then into the 80s as well. And as this is starting to happen, uh, you know, 70s and 80s, they started doing sonar reconnaissance around the whole world and flying over with those, some of those jets and stuff to, you know, kind of do that. And satellites were going up and like beep, 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 you know, hitting the earth. That's the sound effect that you use when you're a Trekkie. That's a very cyber I'm not actually sound a Trekkie. Effect. I've never liked Star Trek. Uh, but there's, so there's this whole thing going on. And what they started doing was doing reconnaissance in the Middle East. Can you imagine why anyone would want to do reconnaissance mm. in the Middle East? It's a totally safe, really comfortable, wonderful place to be. <laughs> Especially in the 1970s, you know, there's multiple wars popping up and things are going crazy. So they're doing this reconnaissance. And would you know it that underneath Saudi Arabia, the sonar shows there's a dried riverbed under 500 feet of sand. It's down there. And there's another one that goes into Africa. And when you read Genesis 2, so then all of a sudden all these books start showing up that Genesis 2 is legit because the four rivers do exist. The other two have been hidden under sand for a long, long time. And the things that were bothering the, the scholars in the early 1900s, by the end of the 1900s, they were going, oh, no, there's evidence of this. We can prove it. It actually did exist. Now, that doesn't mean that we're ever going to find the Garden of Eden. I don't know if you read ahead in the story a little bit, but it doesn't go well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> God kind of kicks humans out and says, you can't come back here for now. So, you know, we're not going to find the Garden of Eden. God hid it from us until the time that he brings it back to the planet and fixes the problem. Uh, that's what we read in Revelation 21 and 22. But in the meantime, if you come across something that you go, you know, I learned this in science. I'll just tell you, the Bible is not at odds with science. If you really understand science, I believe that science is seeking to find the truth. And if God is the truth, and we, we call him the way, the truth, and the life, if he really is the truth, they're not going to be at odds with one another, but there might be theories or things that pop up that start to seem like they're rubbing against the Bible a little bit. And either we put that in our theological icebox and let it wait, or if you're smart enough and you're, you know, maybe in the science field, maybe you come up with another theory that describes that exact same principle or process and you throw that out and you start to work within the science realm to make it happen. And that's happening all around the world. So I think people look at Christians as like irrational or crazy or we've lost our minds or we believe this ancient book to be true. 
which that last part is true. Like we, we, do. we do believe this book is true. However, it doesn't mean that we've thrown everything else out. It just means that we've considered all the evidence and we're willing to say, oh, there's maybe other ways to look at this and we're going to take this way as opposed to the way that you're wanting to. So I don't know if that helps you at all with your faith. Like I said, I'll throw some of these books in uh, the show notes just to give you access to them. You can click on them and go to Amazon and buy them up. But, you know, I don't know. Have you ever struggled with that kind of stuff? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think one of the things that's beautiful about that whole subject is, is, Lord, I know what you have done in my life is real. I know the account of Christ and I know what the Old Testament says about him. And I believe it to be true, and I believe you to be able to do anything. And, Lord, I wish you said more here, and I wish you said more here, and would you please explain this. And, But I have to know the very character and heart of my God to know. I, I, I apparently didn't need to know all those details. Right. And um, when we, when we want to have all the answers or we want to be able to explain everything away, at the end of that, uh, what you're doing is you're ultimately saying, oh, God doesn't need to be powerful. He doesn't need to be, you know, uh, omniscient. He doesn't need to know everything. He, does, he doesn't. <laughs> because we, we've been able to explain it all away in some logical terms. So in other words, there's nothing miraculous. There's nothing that only God can do in the, in the mm. scripture. At which point our faith is pretty mute. Yeah. But no, we believe in a God who is God of all, who's Lord of the universe, who not only created the earth, but sustains it. And that that's wonderful to me. It's It means I don't have to try to find the answers here and, and look at mankind's efforts to try and solve their own problems. What a joke. Um, but yeah, to look through some of this stuff and just... Go, I'm at a place in my faith now where I just delight in some of the crazy stories mm-hmm. that you go, what? Could it, it really happen that way? And it just makes me love my God. It's cool. I don't know about you, but I've you just described you know, struggling with having to find the answers. I've never struggled with that. I'm not a quizzical person who tries to find every <laughs> answer that I possibly <laughs> No, but honestly, there's a time where my wife looks at me and goes, why do you need to know the answer to that? And I'm like, I don't really know, but I just do. I can't stop thinking about it. So I'm tormented by some of that. But what's been beautiful is learning. We all, we all benefit from it. So, yeah, yeah. But learning how to let go and just go, you know what, God, I trust you here, which is that was a big shift in my faith around my early 20s was instead of immediately being convinced that I have to get the answer to this, just going, God, I know the answer's out there. I know people have probably done a good job of figuring it out. Just help me find those people to answer this question. And I've never been let down by him yet. And so it's just kind of built my faith and helped me get even more, you know, in passionate about him and walking with him. So so anyway, that's a little bit into our world that shows you kind of what our, our headspace is. And that's our themes for the year. So hopefully you enjoy the podcast and hopefully you enjoy the, the Bible in a year as we talk about the greatest story ever told. There you have it. Genesis 1 and 2 completely summed up for you. All your questions answered. Anything else we can do, let us know. Nailed it. (laughs) 